You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. That's Wednesday. It's The Big Show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960 The Fan, live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Serving Calgary and southern Alberta since 1992. The bottom of the hour, our pal Adnan Verk. NHL, MLB Network, the Cinephile Podcast. Get us thoughts on the trade deadline. I think we owe, I think I maybe owe um, Gary Gary Bettman an apology a little bit. Oh, the bet dog? Yeah, oh, you know. he didn't make it into the morning report because he said nothing. Yeah, but at least he was sort of positive. Well, he said that, yeah, you need a new building here. It's past its best before date. And I thought it was fitting that he actually kind of made a joke about the bunker that is the... Uh, the hot stove lounge. He does it every time he comes through. But it's like, oh, they put a new coat of paint in here. That's what he said. And nothing was great as just putting Gary on like a folding chair to do the interview with yesterday That's... in the hot stove lounge. <laughs> they should have put you him like, like that on picture? a picture. Yeah, they should have put him on a stool. <laughs> yeah, Gary, help us get this new arena thing going as quickly as possible. <laughs> This is all we gotta hear are these yeah. are these uh yeah folding chairs. Yeah, that's what get we got this, in the hot stove studio. Get this thing across the finish line. Like again, uh, like I like I said yesterday, two letters short of class. But Gary was talking about how potentially um still trying to yeah, figure you out need, which letters those you need you need a new barn here. Mm-hmm. And again, he was talking about it's positive and it's and it's been positive. So we'll get the franchises joining us later on. Uh, he was there during the whole thing. We'll get his take on what Gary Bettman said yesterday about the arena. It's it's lost in the shuffle of all the blockbuster trades in the NHL and just the soul-crushing 4-3 overtime loss by the Flames last night. But Gary was in town for his annual visit because he likes to visit every barn in the NHL. We'll get the franchise's take on what Gary Bettman said about a new arena here in town. Don't think he got stuck in an elevator this time. He should have. He did last year. Yeah. He should have. And there's another indication. Yeah, we need a new rink. Yeah, definitely a new rink. Um, Your chance to win tickets, too. 960-960, name and location. We're asking you on the old text line to win uh, two tickets to the fifth annual wing-off down at Cowboys Casino next Thursday, March 9th. Is yes, there? The Flames hurt me last night more than blank. The Flames hurt me last night more than blank. And by the way, at 8 o'clock, the top of the next hour, uh-huh. we have a monster concert announcement. Like usually, I know we're such a music station, but we we have a big time concert announcement coming up. This feels very Jack FM of us. Oh, it's super Jack so FM. We should definitely try to bring the zany like Jack does. Oh, good at eight o'clock. I'm I'm sure I can reach into my zaniness, my memories, and pull out a little zany from the Your old zany days pocket. up in Jack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have a big time concert announcement coming up at eight o'clock. And uh, we have tickets to set concert to give away next week. So that's exciting. This is a huge deal. People are gonna want these tickets. Yeah. People always want the tickets that we have because we know what our people are gonna want. So we get tickets that they're gonna want. Makes sense. This is right up that alley. Yeah, um, we'll do that at 8 o'clock, uh, the franchise, and then um, later on, some good news. Uh, the CP Women's Open coming to Calgary next summer. Uh, the tournament director, Ryan Paul, will join us at 8.30. But Flames lose 4-3 in overtime 
last night to the Boston Bruins in a game they thoroughly dominated, outshot Boston 57-20, to essentially caved them in for three periods. Uh, the overtime was essentially a coin flip before the Bruins scored with four seconds to go in the extra frame. But we asked the question, um, should these two games determine what the Flames do at the deadline? And you watch that team last night, and the strength of the Calgary Flames is their depth. Yeah. And that that was just a shining example of what this team looks like last night uh, when things are going the right way. But again, it's the goaltending has let this team down game in, game out, seemingly this season. And if this team has had even average goaltending, I don't think there's any question they're in a playoff spot. So I think if you're Brad Tree Living, do you really go out there, maybe acquire a depth blue liner because uh, Michael Stone's banged up? And I know Dennis Gilbert, uh, Gilbert's been good mm-hmm. since playing those bottom minutes there. But maybe they go out there and get a depth defenseman before Friday's deadline. But to me, um, last night was an example of, if you're a Flames fan, you should be hopeful here in the last 20 or some odd games left to go in the season because you see the flashes that this team can hang with the best team in the NHL. And I get it. The the Bruins were playing on the back end of a back-to-back, apparently four games in six nights, whatever. Uh, that happens all the time in the NHL. That's just the, the reality of the situation and how the league uh, does their schedule. But the Calgary Flames looked great last night. And if you just get a save, like if that Orlov shot doesn't go in, who knows what that game looks like last night, but it did go in because it feels like every game, and I hate continually harping on the goaltending, but every game seems like it's a deflating goal that goes in that derails this team and full marks for the Flames for fighting back and even having a lead in the third period of that game last night. Like the thing is, I don't know if it derailed how they played because like as this has continued to be a trend over the course of the season, the team seems to kind of be ready for it. Like, after that first goal goes in, there was no, oh, man, disappointed, feel bad for me. No, Like, they were right back to the grindstone. They just kept pressing away. And they continued to do that in the second period after they were down by two goals as well. So that was a positive for sure. Obviously, you don't want to be chasing a game, and you don't want to be chasing a game against a team that still hasn't lost in regulation when they score first, especially when you don't score that much, as the Flames team doesn't this year. But I don't, the one thing that I can say is as the season has gone on, it doesn't seem to, you know, jar the team as much as it used to. There's still obviously moments of letdown and it's not a good place to be in, but it's not like they folded up the tent and went home after Vladar had allowed a stinker. Like this is a team that is still playing for their goalies. And I think that's something that you can maybe take a glass half full type of look at. And I'm seeing it on the text line and I see it on social media and they're not wrong. Um, You need a little more scoring, obviously. Sure, it it never hurts. And that that wasn't an issue for this team last season because they they would just score those extra goals and pile on. But that's just not how this team, the makeup of this team is right now. And do you go out there and try to to grab that top six winger who can put the biscuit in the basket? Maybe. Maybe. But the way these lines are going right now, we, we've talked about the chemistry or lack thereof for the majority of the season. It seems like with this current lineup, 
There's no question the backland line's been the best line of this team for two-plus months now. Sure. There seems like there's some chemistry, some good chemistry with Kadri, Huberto, and Peltier. Over the last couple of weeks, they've yeah. gotten much better. Yeah, and and the Lindholm line with Dubé and Toffoli has been rock-solid, too. Even the fourth line was great last night. So ever since Walker Dewar has been back into this lineup, he's really added that extra jam on that spark. fourth line mm-hmm. and speed that they need because that's a, a big human being who's using his speed and his size to open things up for that fourth line. Do they need more scoring? Yes. Does this team need to clean up things defensively and not, I don't know, like, and it's not the fact that they're giving up five-star chances all over the ice. They're not. They're thoughts, shot suppression. That is such a hard word to say. Three times fast. Shot suppression. Shot suppression. Thought no, again, I couldn't do it. Shot suppression. Shot suppression. Alex, shot can you do shot suppression, suppression shot three times suppression. in a row? Shot suppression. No, I can't. Yeah, wow. there you go. GVP, try it. Shot suppression, shot suppression, shot no, suppression. No, 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 no. There was a little yeah. suppression. Yeah. yeah. You sounded like Sylvester the cat there a little bit when you tried to do the middle one. There was a little bit of there. It's a tough one. Uh, this team is great at shot suppression. That's what this team does. It's not like, okay, if they're giving up chances all over the ice and their goaltending's letting them down, sure, but the margins are very thin for this Calgary Flames team. And yes, scoring's an issue, and you need to score more goals. But you watched that game last night? The effort was completely there. They played Daryl Sutter hockey the entire game, Mm -hmm. and I know the coach gets a lot of heat in this city, but they played Daryl Sutter brand hockey and just let in a couple softies here and there and made a couple boneheaded plays that ended up in the back of their net. The Orloff goal probably should have been stopped. Uh, the 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 tying goal where Zadorov takes himself out of the play in a situation where you just can't do and you need to be smarter after him taking the blame for a previous loss. You just got to be a little smarter when you're playing one-goal games all the time. What's that? Their 36th one-goal game this season, I believe, and now their 23rd one-goal loss, which, of course, both leads the National Hockey League. Like, the margins are so thin on this team and to say blow it up and this team, I, I'm just not sure about that because, yeah, it's it's going to be a dogfight to get into the Stanley Cup playoffs, but we keep hammering home this point. The West isn't very good outside of the Avalanche, and if the Flames can play like that and put that effort out there, why couldn't they beat a team like, I don't know, well, the, Dallas, Golden the Knights? And Knights, I know they've never won LA. in Vegas and blah, blah, blah. But if they play like that against the Golden Knights, I like my chances if I'm a Calgary Flames fan. And I think it just all ultimately turns back to Jacob Markstrom. You got to sit that guy down. And you brought up an amazing point yesterday while we were watching the game. The guy just had his first kid. And maybe that's, again, we treat these guys like commodities. We're all guilty of it. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, they're human beings. Maybe that was such an enormous distraction. Maybe things were difficult at home. I don't know. Maybe the anticipation of the birth of your child, maybe like that that that's a real thing. Maybe that was a distraction for you and taking I don't know. And that's not really our place to No, know. it's not. We're we don't judge. know. It that's doesn't right. matter. Maybe that was. And last night, the first game since having his first child, he was great last night. He, was he looked like Jacob Marstrom again. And if I'm the Flames, enough with this win in your in nonsense now. You got to ride this guy. Either you get us into the playoffs or you don't. That's essentially what they got to do. We've given Vladar enough leash. Everything the fans wanted Daryl Sutter to do here and crushing on him, he's done everything. Give Jacob Peltier more of a role in the top six. Check. 
Give younger guys more of a chance on the fourth line. Walker Dewar. Check. Check. Uh, give Vladar a chance to be the number one goaltender. Check. Has Vladar taken the ball and run with it? No, he hasn't. The other two have. Yes. Sure. You got it. Jacob Marstrom just needs to elevate his play. Yeah. That's what it is. If this team can play like that, and Jacob Markstrom doesn't even have to be Jacob Markstrom from last season. He just has to be average Jacob Markstrom. Sure. This team will get into the Stanley Cup playoffs. That guy's got to be the difference. He's got to be the entire rest of the way. You got a lot of tough games. You got a lot of them coming up. Like this one against the Maple Leafs, right? How do you bounce back? Because the other thing for the Flames, it hasn't been putting together a game like this. And granted, we haven't really seen anything quite like that game against Boston yesterday. That was an impressive performance. But it's doing this in back-to-back games. It's doing this multiple games in a row and trying to get on a little bit of a run here. And some elite-level goaltending or even average-level goaltending, yep. you're probably going to feel pretty good about yourself. Yeah. Yesterday was a weird one because I don't know how it changes the trade deadline for me. Like, if they win it, I'm like, okay, don't sell anything. If they have that same effort against a very good Toronto team tomorrow, mm-hmm. Again, you're like, okay, we, we see it. And everybody in outside of this city, everyone we interview on this show, all these experts who follow the game and have done so for years and years and years, what do they all say about the Calgary Flames? That team's built for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And and please, I know, before you text me, I like I know, you got to get there first, and I completely understand that. But just get into the damn playoffs, and you see the effort. Like you remember that game where they where they hammered the lightning on that afternoon game. Mm-hmm. You see them, and that and that and again, and that's not an excuse for this team playing down to their competition, which they have at times this season, losing to teams they have no business losing to, and then they elevate their game when they play the elites of the NHL. I expect them to come out with another great effort tomorrow night when the Leafs will be on the back end of a back to back after playing McDavid and the Oilers tonight in Edmonton. It just sometimes that's how the schedule goes. Yes. Can't worry about it too much. I do have some thoughts on blowing up the team and I, why I think it's preposterous, but uh, we don't have nearly enough time in this show. We might have to put a pin in it for later in the week before the trade deadline. Okay. Maybe we'll do that tomorrow. I would love to. Thursdays are busy on this show, but maybe we'll do that tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still taking your text messages. 960, 960. I think we'll do that after we talk to um, Ryan Paul, tournament director of the CP Canadian Women's Open. We'll do that. We'll give away the tickets. Uh, Wing Off, the fifth annual Wing Off in support of Calgary Kids Sport down at Calgary's, uh, the Cowboys Casino, Cowboys. YYC's ultimate wing champion. Uh, This year will be bigger, better, and tastier than ever. Whoa, that's a pretty big promise. It goes down uh, next week. Thursday, March 9th. Because you're to win two tickets to that. Uh, we're just asking you, the Flames hurt me more last night than blank. The Flames hurt me last night more than blank. 960-960, name and location. We'll give away the tickets after we talk to Ryan Paul. Keep those texts rolling in. Texty McTexterson, our Sportsnet 960, the fan text reading robot. We'll read your text messages. But straight ahead, Adnan Verk, NHL, MLB Network, Cinephile Podcast, will join us next. It's the big show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Hey, it's Haley Salvian from The Athletic. For a look at the latest on your Calgary Flames and NHL news, go click and subscribe to the Hockey Central 960 podcast. While you're there, please rate and review the show.
The Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Coming to you live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. It's the top of the hour of the franchise. Eric Francis will join us. We'll get we'll get his thoughts on what Gary Bettman talked about yesterday, which has been kind of lost in the sea of hockey news the last 48 to 72 hours. Uh-huh. About the new barn here in Calgary. Uh, we'll also get what's irking Eric. He has a he has a list now on his phone that he that he keeps a running tally of to share with us. It's important. You got to remember the things that anger you in life yeah. so that when you're feeling overly joyful, you can yep. just go back and get yourself right back down in the dumps, you know? Um we're also giving away a pair of tickets to the 5th annual Wing Off in support of Calgary Kids Sport down at Cowboys next Thursday, March 9th. We'll do that after we talk to Ryan Paul. The Flames hurt me last night more than blank. The Flames hurt me last night more than blank. 960, 960, name and location. And we have a giant concert announcement coming up at the top of the hour. And we'll have tickets to said concert all next week. It's going to be big. Yeah, I want to, like, can you do, like, a DJ radio voice for that? Coming up. No, no, like, the... save it. Oh, of course Not, I can. I didn't say now. <laughs> oh. But save it. Sorry. My bad. Because we got to get to our next guest on the yeah. Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. So rude of me. Uh, MLB NHL Network analyst, host of the Cinephile Podcast. We say good morning to Adnan Verk. Adnan, how are you? George, Maddie, great to be with you guys. Lots of hockey action. Yesterday was unbelievable. I was working on NHL Network listening to Steve Cooley's, guys, here we go, Patrick Kane to Broadway. <laughs> and then we had uh, Elliot Friedman on yesterday. <laughs> and literally, the deals are coming as we were speaking. It was, it was a highly entertaining day in the world of hockey. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, you're, such a, you're so good at your job. You're such a, a polished broadcaster. When you were in the infancy of your career, or even in school, did you ever use a, quote, broadcasting voice? Uh, first, I thank you for the compliment, George. That's kind of you. And I, I return the favor a couple of two. Uh, I don't know if I did. It's funny. When I first got married, my wife goes, come on, you got to use your broadcasting voice. And I was so offended by that. I said, what do you mean? She goes, you know, like the, the way you talk. I said, I'm not putting on a voice. You're making it sound like I'm Ron Burgundy here. Yeah. I said, it's called projecting. You know, I'm not going to talk the way I talk in normal conversation on television. Because, well, you know, your TV voice. So I, I'm still offended to this day of anyone yeah. thinking I would do that. But, no, I, I think, you know, when I first started, I was, I was just odd to think, but I was probably a little bit quiet. And this guy said to me, like, who died? I go, why? He goes, come on, bring some energy. So I, I never forgot that that little bit of notice. Okay, you want to crank it up? I'll crank it up. So it's, I think when you're first starting, it feels a little bit artificial, but really it is just projecting. It's just kind of giving a little oomph. Have you ever been thrown off by somebody who you listen to them call radio and you're like, that's that's definitely a radio voice, but then that's actually how they talk in real life? Because I've had that experience recently and it's boggling. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, listen, you guys have had Peter Labardius, right? Friend of the show. He's on all the time. Yeah, I remember yep. the first time hearing him, I go, there's, there's no way this guy talks like this. Like, he's probably this soft, stoked, spoken guy from Saskatchewan. But then, sure enough, Peter Labardi, like, just big yep. voice is coming at you. <laughs> the other big one was Joe Bowen. I said, oh, my God. I go, there's no way Joe Bowen yeah. talks like this all the time. But he is always at a 17. It's amazing. <laughs> Very nice man. But, like, he is projecting on every single word. He is enunciating. There's there's no other level with Joe. It's probably why he's lasting so long. It's amazing. Uh, and then are you like me? Have you ever practiced being a strip club DJ voice guy? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Put your hands together. Yeah. I mean, there's a time in your life you'd go, you know, that would be an amazing job. I'd just be around strippers. And I could, I could, I could yeah. work on my voice and work on my craft. Maybe somebody would find me and go, you know what? You should actually be a real DJ. Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad you noticed. Like my, my favorite game, and I don't know why I'm doing this because I'm probably going to get in trouble, but whatever. <laughs> 
My favorite game uh, with my buddies is um, if you're at the bar having a couple of drinks, you try to put like the least sexy names coming to the stage. Like, gentlemen, get your hands together for Mildred. And you're like, okay. You're like, yeah, Mildred's coming to the stage. Coming down to dance to... It's Olga. Yeah, you're like, here's... Guys, welcome to the stage, Miss Nude Alberta, Ruth. And you're like, oh, okay. Ruth. You can just already envision the chipped tooth. Yeah. Here, bunch of yeah. Hair in a bun. I'm like, yeah, there's Ruth. Hair yeah. In a Hair in a bun. Ladies and gentlemen, get your hands together for the sexy Bertha. <laughs> You're like, whoa. No lap dance. She's just going to arm wrestle you. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's always a fun thing to do. Because that was always like my backup plan in the broadcasting career. Because there's a very famous uh, strip club in Niagara Falls that pays very well. And I'm like, huh, maybe one day. Maybe. Maybe one day. You know they make like $600 a night in cash, Adnan? No, they don't, George. Yes, they do. Adnan, that's why I had to take a long look in the mirror. (laughs) 600 a night at least. Straight, as Randy Moss says, Adnan, straight cash, homie. That that's the key, right? The tax man has no idea. No, just out the toilet to the base. No, get your hands together that's for Margaret. All right, um, I can't believe strict obedience make that much money. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no problem. Yeah, they make that much money. It's insane. Um, got to ask you about all these trades in the NHL and the Patrick Kane thing. Where are you at with the Rangers and this move right now? Because it felt it was obviously just a matter of time before he made this deal, and apparently it was Rangers or bust. For Patrick Kane, where are they right now in your mind in, in, in power rankings in the Eastern Conference? Because I'm not even sure they're in the top three. Yeah, it's a great point, George. There's so much jubilation around here and you know, premature jocularity, as Keith Olbermann would say, because all these Rangers fans are so excited by the, the appeal of Patrick Kane, who's obviously a great player. Mako Den is the greatest American hockey player ever. But to your point, as we all know, had a pretty lousy season. Yes, he's picked it up the last couple of weeks once he realized, hey, I'm going to be on the move. I all along thought stars. I thought Vegas. But as you said, once it became clear that Patrick Kane held all the cards, and one day they're going to retire 88 to the Raptors, they don't want to alienate the guy, and he wanted to go to the Rangers. Okay, fine, got it. There was a great clip of how upset he was when Tarasenko got traded. Like, oh, man, I guess I'm not going to New York now. But to your point, I looked at the lines yesterday, and I said, okay, you're adding two right-wingers to your top six. They got this whole kid line they're excited about here with Hedo and Kako and Lafreniere. But ultimately, Shesterkin hasn't been as wondrous as he's been in the past. And the Bruins are loaded. And I think the Devils are a better team. Like, I'm like, Timo Meyer to me, like, oh, this guy's in his prime. Like, Patrick Kane is a once great player who can still be effective. I still think can dial it up a notch. And yeah, I got it. He'll get some extra energy of being on Broadway. But guess what? He's not Timo Meyer. Like, he's not nearly as talented as he is. And the Devils were a better team before they got him. And Tarasenko's a good player, but he's enigmatic as well. So I'm with you. I still think it's Bruins and Devils for sure, even with all this hoopla around the Rangers. And by the way, we all know they had to you know, get through some hoops here just to make the move happen. They're probably not going to re-sign him, so it's a really just a rental. I'm not convinced they beat the Devils in the first round. Right now, I would pick New Jersey to win that series in six or seven games. So I get the headlines, and I understand the excitement, but I still don't know how much better they really are. When you look at the Eastern Conference, who do you think is the team as currently constructed, that is in the best place to take out the Boston Bruins when they eventually have to face them in the postseason? 
Well, I think it would have to be the Tampa Bay Lightning. Although, God, they, they better hope they don't play the Florida Panthers again. The Panthers yesterday <laughs> and the previously with that seven-one waxing. I don't know what's happened. The sunshine, sunshine state rivalry, that intrastate rivalry, causing problems for Tampa. But I, I still look at their pedigree of success, and I look at specifically Braden Point. Like I was looking at his numbers and what a what a great season he's really having under the radar. I think we talk a lot about Kucherov and Vasilevsky and Sam Chris for good reason. But, like, we were looking at points numbers yesterday. I said, man, he's having a fabulous season. He's going to score over 40 goals and set a, a career high as far as a single season is concerned. So I still feel like Tampa is positioned to, to do some damage. You know, I like Carolina a lot, but I, I question their goaltending. You know, sometimes I, I want to talk myself into it because I'm like, well, you know, they are leading the Metro, and I love Brindamore and Ajo and especially their offensive depth. But I, I still don't know if their goaltending is good enough to shake out especially considering how good Olmark has been and Jeremy Swayman if they need to go in that direction. So I, I still feel like you know, that Lightning Leaf series, good luck to Toronto. I don't see them beating Tampa. And with the Rangers and Devils, don't see them beating New Jersey. But I think Tampa's pretty well positioned that they could knock off the Bees. As uh, someone in the media business, and, and we know the trade deadline, like across most leagues, is is a big deal, a big broadcast deal. What have you made of all the trades happening way before the deadline I think the GMs are just being smart. You got to get ahead of this thing if you can. Yeah, I hate it. We're working in broadcasting. Thank God I don't. I'm not working on the Friday NHL trade deadline show because like there's nothing worse when all the moves have been made and everyone goes, "Oh, there'll still be some trades." I'm like, "Well, yeah, but no trades of consequence. No trades of really meaningful activity. I mean, there, there'll still be 12 trades made on Friday. But if nobody cares, all the guys are gone. Then what does it matter? So on a selfish level, I hate it. But on a, on a level of just watching the hockey fan, I think you're right, Maddie. I think they realize. Well, why wait? Like, we, we, every game is important. Every win is important, especially in the East. Like, God, you look at that wild card. You know, this is ridiculous. Like, it's going to be so tough to figure out who ends up being the final wild card team. It's literally going to go down to the wire. So, if you can get Patrick Kane to play two extra games and make a little bit of a jump, why wait until Friday? So, I, I think, yeah, they, they basically these GMs have identified who they want and just go from there. Basically, the big name left is Jacob Chickman, who, as we all know, is this 24-year-old stud defenseman, a very cap-friendly number, $4.5 million dollars. Whoever gets Chickman is going to get a, a big upgrade defensively. But look at Toronto. They've got like nine defensemen now. It's crazy. Like, I know they yeah. got rid of Rasmus Lindeen. I know Muzzin's not coming back. But, like, that's just an example of Kyle Dubas going, you know what? If we don't get out of the first round, I'm gone. Right? I'm playing for my job here. So is Sheldon yeah. Keith. So what do I care if I'm doing all these draft picks? Right? We'll, I'll, I'll get McCabe. I'll get every – at home, whatever I can do. Sure, no problem. We're going to have to make this work. And I think the O'Reilly pickup really works out. And Achari makes sense. I still don't think it'd be Tampa. But again, Dubas' perspective is I got to try everything. Otherwise, yeah. I'm out of a job. Uh, I think the goaltending ultimately might be their Achilles heel. But of course, uh, we'll see uh, next month now because we flipped the calendar to March. Adnan Burke, <laughs> uh, MLB NHL Network, host of the Cinephile Podcast, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Adnan, can you think of a rule more that potentially could have an impact on the sport than the pitch clock? in major league baseball, because I know it's spring training and I know everyone like just loves to have spring training takes, but damn it, Adnan, it's awesome. The pace of the game right now. Oh, it's incredible. George. I remember hearing about it a few years ago when I was at ESPN. I said, that'll never happen. Someone said, yeah, it'll never happen. They go, the players will never agree to it. The owners really want it. Rob Manfred's been pushing it literally. The day he became commissioner, he was like, we're going to pitch clock. And the players said, nah, we'll never do it. I go, well, which side? The pitchers, the hitters. They go, eh, probably more the hitters. Like They're like, no, I'm not getting pushed. I like to step out, you know, tuck on my jug, spit three times, go through this whole routine like Garcia or whatever. Like, it'll never happen. I go, okay. And once I remember hearing the Romans going, oh, the pitch clock is coming. I'm like, it is? 
Like, oh, yeah, it's pretty much what voted on. Like, it's going to be ratified. Like, no brainer, no problem. Like, wow, this is incredible. Like, I was expecting this to be as difficult as the CBA negotiations. Like, they'll lock out over a pitch clock. But instead, it's in. And watching those first spring training games, you go, wow, it feels revolutionary. And it's a reminder, fellas, that this is the way baseball used to be. If you watch games in the 80s and 90s, maybe not 90s, but 80s, definitely. They were two-and-a-half-hour ball games. Like, it was a great pace of play to it. And you're just trimming off the fat. You don't need 27 seconds between pitches. And what I loved watching that first game, Robbie Ray in particular, he was throwing the ball with 12 seconds left. Like he's not, he's not taking the full 20 seconds. Like, no, give me the sign, give me the ball, and let's go. So you don't have to take the 20. That's, of course, the rule. You've seen a couple of hiccups behind that Red Sox game. You don't want to see a game end where a guy, the batter, has to address the pitcher with eight seconds left in the clock. He wasn't game ready, so to speak, until five. So the game ends on a 6 6 tie. But whatever. It's spring training, right? There's no tying in baseball. It's just meaningless anyways. You're just trying to work out the kinks. What I think more than anything, George, it'll impact some of the veteran guys, maybe a salty Adam Wainwright at 41 years of age dealing with a pitch clock. But the younger guys couldn't care less. They've had a pitch clock in the minor leagues, so they're going to be willing to adapt much easier. And the idea of a a two-and-a-half-hour baseball game rather than three hours and ten minutes. Listen, there was a 12-7 game the other day. I think it was the Cardinals. That would have been over four hours. It was two hours and 59 minutes. It's amazing. And and that's the thing, too, right? If the game's going to go long, chances are there's a lot of things happening in that game. Like, it's just, it's, and and again, the only thing that, and we had Joe Siddle on this week, the only thing I kind of catch myself is I watch the clock a lot during it, right? Your, your eye, your eye is drawn to the pitch clock the whole time. That's maybe the only downside, but of course, I think the more games you watch, that'll just be kind of something you're used to. And then you won't be staring at it as much, I think. Yeah, whenever I try to watch old games, I'm just always enraged at the lack of a bug. I go, this is insane. There's yeah. no score bug. Like you try yeah. watching it, right? I tried watching the Flyers from like the 80s. I go, this is painful. I have no idea what the score is. How yeah. much time is left in the clock? Yeah. Where the hell am I right now? This is awful. Right. So, so to your point, I'd rather take more information than less. But I've seen a couple of broadcasts. They'll put the clock up only when it really is relevant, meaning mm. – 10 seconds and under, they'll put the clock up. So I, I'm hoping most networks do that. I don't know what Fox is going to do. I'm not sure what we're going to do, but I'm with you. I, I don't want to see the 20, 19, 18. No, give it to me like with 10 seconds left, kind of almost like a shot clock. I mean, I'd be like, when it starts to be important, show me the clock then. Or, or like in the NFL where That's they do it, uh, the play clock in the NFL when there's like less than five seconds. Well, that the play clock's so always right. on in the NFL, but then like you y- you stare at it more when well, it's starting to, to and run you, down. You know when you're watching NFL when the play has gone too long. Like you get used to that 40 seconds for what you've yeah. been saying, George. Right? Like you, you're not constantly staring at that, but you right. know when you have to look down and make sure the quarterback's getting the snap off. So it's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah. I like when you talk about revolutionary. I think about like the getting rid of the the no two line passes in the NHL that being something that kind of t- completely changed the game. Do you think this is going to be the same? Like, are we going to see a great shift in scoring, or is it just going to be some of the the kind of uh, game times that we see change? It's game times for sure. I, I think, Matty, people are just to be like, wow, this is a much more aesthetically pleasing game. Rather than a game being 7.05 first pitch and being accustomed to saying, I'm going to watch six innings and go to bed, they're going to go, no, I'm going to watch the whole thing. And it was a great, nice, tidy two-and-a-half-hour baseball game. Like, I just think, viewer satisfaction is important. You know, fan satisfaction is important. And people are going to say, hey, it's more fun going to the game because it's just quicker and more efficient. Now, the actual games themselves, the whole no shift is going to be fascinating because I would think that will help batting averages, but how much is it? Like, we're we're at a point now, 
Like the the average batting average I think for a year ago was like two thirty eight. I Meaning if a guy hits two forty, he's an above average hitter, which is insane. Yeah. So I, I'm hoping we can at least get to two fifty. If you tell me two fifty is the league average, I'm like, okay, that to me feels like an average hitter. And I think we can get there. I think with no shift you'll see that. The one I'm a little bit skeptical of is stolen bases. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope we get back to Vince Coleman and Willie McGee and seventy stolen bases. But these analytics guys, they are so risk-averse. They go 27 outs. We're not going to waste an out trying to steal second base. But the fact that now the pitcher can only throw over once and can only step off once, I'm hoping we get some more stealing back in the game. At the very least, some hit and runs. And and definitely uh, runners will be able to time the clock, too, when he has to throw the pitch. I think think that's something that potentially you can maybe take advantage of when the clock's running down, that he's got to throw it so I know I can go. When this actually happens, yeah. that potentially is something that could be a factor too when stealing bases. Um, you also do the Cinephile podcast. Uh, you're a big <laughs> movie guy. Um, is there a better title for a movie, maybe the last couple of years, than Cocaine Bear? Uh, it's probably the best one since Snakes in a Plane, and that's exactly <laughs> the genre right. which it's going with, right? We're, we're not trying to fool anybody. There's no false artifice here. Yep. We're not trying to court Oscars. We're trying to take your money yeah. and be very entertaining and silly about it. it it's and like it's exactly that. Yeah, it's like the movie Tar. I didn't know that was a short form for conductor. I had no idea. But <laughs> yeah, Cocaine yeah, Bear, right. it's a movie about a bear who's on cocaine. Fablemans didn't yeah. know that was about Steven Spielberg. Yeah, there you go. But... <laughs> Give me a cocaine bear. That one seems pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, Fablemans, by the way, did poorly at the box office. Great with critics. They should have called it the Spielbergs. For mm-hmm. God's sake, it's Steven Spielberg's story. It would have been better if it was called the Spielbergs. Like, yeah. Okay, it's actually his life. No, it's called the Fablemans. No, it's not going to work. Uh, but I enjoy Cocaine Bear, fellas. It's a fun movie. It's 95 minutes. Speaking of efficiency and pitch clocks, they get right to the point. There's plenty of action. There's at least two sequences. The crowd has started laughing and cheering. So it's certainly geared towards young males. It's, as I said, pretty violent and funny. I wish they'd gone a little more in that direction, to be honest with you. At times, I thought it was being too much of a movie. It should be a little bit more outlandish, a little more like the, the Zucker Brothers and the Naked Gun and that kind of world. Right. But Overall, I found it entertaining and great to see Ray Liotta in one of his final screen performances. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I definitely want to check out Cocaine Bear. Um, Adnan, right now, the Oscars are around the corner. And if I wanted to make a wager on the Oscars, what is a dark horse underdog Oscar pick that I should have my eye on? Well, right now, I mean, the best picture is going to be everything everywhere all at once. Best director is going to be the Daniels. Maybe a dark horse there, Spielberg, because he hasn't won in 25 years. It'll be his third Oscar. Actress is fascinating, right? It's a toss-up right now. Michelle Yeoh, who won the SAG, and Kate Blanchett for the aforementioned Tar, who previously won the Golden Globe and Critics' Choice Awards. So that's a fun race. Best actor, you know, again, Brendan Fraser is now the favorite for the whale because he won the SAG Award. But Austin Butler is still, uh, I think, going to get a lot of votes because he won the Golden Globe. He won the BAFTA, which is the British Oscars. Supporting actor, absolute lock is Ki-Hui Kwan. So stay away from that category. He's won everything he's going to win. If you wanted to go dark horse, supporting actress, you might want to take a flyer on Jamie Lee Curtis. Now, Angela Bassett's mm. the favorite to win for Wakanda Forever. You've never had an actor from a Marvel movie win an Oscar for an acting category. And Angela Bassett's been a great actress, never won for What's Love Got to Do With It, the Tina Turner story. But Jamie Lee Curtis just won the SAG Award, the Screen Actors Guild Award. And sometimes supporting actress gets a little bit wacky. Remember Marissa Tomei won for My Cousin Vinny. Yes. So it should be Angela Bassett. Probably should be Carrie Condon for the Banshees of Inner Sharon. But the fact Jamie Lee Curtis just won the SAG Award, I go, you know what? I don't think she wins. 
But as mm. you said, dark horse bet, a little money on it, long career, trading places, maybe Jamie Lee gets her moment. I, I like it, Adnan. Uh, really quickly, too, um, I know that the Oscars this year is going to have a crisis team on site in case uh, Will Smith, <laughs> Chris Rockinson, it happens again. Like, what, what are they going to do? Like, they're going to come out there and tell the host what to say? Like, again, I'm sure they're going to make fun of it. And what is the odds of Chris Rock and Will Smith being on stage together? I think they're pretty good. I'm not sure Chris Rock's over it yet, and I think we've talked about this, but I keep feeling that we're going to see that at this year's Oscars. Yeah, you mentioned it previously, and I'm going to do my cinephile Oscars preview next week, and I promise I will cite you and say, okay, George Rustic called it. If this happens, you said this to me months ago, and I... I I'm with you. I don't think Rock is over it. I think he's past the point of shredding him. Like, I kept thinking after the moment, oh, my God, he's going to annihilate Will Smith. And he publicly came out in Boston and said, I'm going to take a little bit of time. We'll figure this out. So I think he's moved past wanting to just, like, eviscerate Will Smith. But I also don't think he's at the moment that he wants to go out there hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder, like, hey, we're all good. Like, I still feel like Rock's like, we're not even yet. Like, you got me, and I'm not going to annihilate you, but I got to get you back somehow. So I I don't think we're quite there yet, but I love that you're calling it because you're right. It is totally something you can imagine Hollywood doing. It's so manufactured and contrived. And maybe these two guys would want to do it. Uh, and, uh, and I got to ask you, because I know you took your kids to see the Ant-Man movie. What did you think of Corey Stoll's performance in that film? Yeah, for those who haven't seen it, Stoll, of course, was in the previous Marvel movies. He, it, it's just, it's, it's almost undefinable. He, it's basically his head, and he's, he's like in this box. And he's it's his weird, little dude. Legs and little arms. And you go, you go, what the hell's going on? Like, this is what happens. When screenwriters just do too much drugs. Like those edibles are available now. They go, yep. you know what? Let's 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 get a way to get Corey Stoll back in this thing. So I I couldn't even know how to explain it to my kids as we were watching it. But I I think he's a funny actor. He's entertaining. Do you think he was a great Uncle Junior? I was a little disappointed when he was in the Many Saints of Newark, but I do think he's a he's a good actor. And he's obviously part of that universe. Jonathan Majors is going to be a huge hit. God, he's oh. playing the villain there in Ant Man. But I told you the other day they they approached his team about playing Arthur Ashe, and they're like, good 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 luck. For the next four years, Jonathan Majors is locked in the, the MCU universe playing one of the all-time villains, and I thought he was really good. Good cast, right? Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer, and the always likable Paul Rudd. But yeah, Stoll specifically, weird performance. There's nothing else you could say about it. I thought Jonathan Majors could have maybe hit the gym a little bit more before, but that's just me. <laughs> He's got a movie coming out called Magazine Dreams. It played at Sundance, which he plays a bodybuilder, and they said it's insane. Now, I, I read mixed reviews. One said it, it's not necessarily a great movie. But his dedication to the roles, and I go, oh my god, he's a bodybuilder! Like he, he put like sixty pounds of muscle. They go, wait till you see Jonathan Majors with his shirt off in Magazine Dreams. Uh, it'll have women drooling. Uh, I love. I always drool when you're on Adnan Ver. Oh, that was uh, and will be <laughs> NHL Network analyst, yes. uh, cinephile podcast on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. Uh, shout out to our texter, uh, gentlemen. Get your hands together for Gertrude. <laughs> Old Gertie's coming to the stage. And now, dancing to Cherry Pie, Gertrude. Yeah. Uh, Adnan, great stuff. Uh, we'll have you on again soon, definitely before the Oscars, because we want to make some bets. Thanks for this, pal. I love it, boys. Absolutely. My pleasure. And pour some sugar on me. Look at Helga. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. Thanks, Adnan. Uh, there's Adnan Verk, NHL Thanks, trade deadline coverage on Sportsnet 960, <laughs> brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, using the same secret recipe since 1975. Dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Takeout or delivery at 403-248-3344. Obviously, like I'm calling it. After that, Will Smith, Chris Rock kerfuffle, uh-huh. which made us all like flabbergast watching the broadcast. We like, were oh so my god, shook. like what is what is going on right now? There's there's two dings there because I got kerfuffle in. But like watching that act, like is this fake? Is this stage? No, that was real. 
and I guarantee you they're going to be on stage together. Because Will Smith has to like play it off like, ah, it's all funny now and it's all good. Yeah. Sure. When he was looking like a total idiot uh-huh. when that happened. Fine. Uh, straight ahead, the franchise, Eric Francis. We'll, we'll, we'll ask him about that crushing 4-3 loss last night to the Boston Bruins by the Calgary Flames. About the kerfuffle at the Dome? Yeah, the kerfuffle when it comes to Gary Bettman and talking about the new arena. Mm-hmm. So we'll ask him about that. We'll uh-huh. see what's irking Eric. Yeah. And then at the bottom of the hour, uh, Ryan Paul, he is the tournament director of the CP Women's Open, which is coming to Calgary next summer. Yep. That's exciting news. We'll talk to him, and we'll give away some tickets. And we have a concert announcement. So much to do on the show. Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan.